Between Mother's Day and Father's Day every year, we like to do a series, or I like to do a series on family. And this year, because we've been studying the Gospel of John, I thought it would be good for us to really dive into John's Gospel account, especially looking at the I Am statements of Jesus, and then talking about what would our families look like if we applied those statements to our families. What would it look like if grandparents and aunts and uncles, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, if we took those statements and we decided we will make Jesus the very center of our homes, how would our families be transformed? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had that feeling where you felt like you really accomplished something? I mean, something good. I mean, maybe like you spent all day, I don't know, doing laundry or you spent all day cleaning the house or you spent all day working on the yard or whatever it is. And you feel like, yes, that feels good. I'm done. It's accomplished. And then just to realize it's going to have to be done again pretty soon, right? And it, it just kind of comes undone. You can clean the house. You could spend hours and hours and hours cleaning the house. And just as you do, somebody will come track mud in, right? You, you can spend hours and hours doing the laundry and then you realize you're wearing clothes right now and those clothes will have to be washed. But every good thing that you do has a tendency of coming undone, right? I mean, you could build a house. You could build a house for someone else with your bare hands, brick by brick by brick. And if you didn't maintain it and take care of it, pretty soon it would become dilapidated it would come undone. The good things that we do have a tendency to come undone, even in relationships. I mean, you could work really hard at your marriage or with your kids or with your parents, and you could work really, really hard. Maybe things aren't so great, and you've worked really, really hard, and then one day you say something you shouldn't say or they say something they shouldn't say, and all that good work seems to come undone. Now, that's not to say that, that it's a waste of time or that it's meaningless to do those good things. I mean, after all, in a little bit, you're going to go eat lunch, right? Even though you know that eventually you're just going to have to eat again. I mean, we, we, know that, we know that the good things that we do, we're going to have to keep doing them and keep doing them and keep doing them. It doesn't mean that they're meaningless, but it does mean this, that we simply aren't strong enough in and of ourselves to do anything that really endures. Isn't that true? We are not strong enough in and of ourselves to do anything that really, truly endures. All the good things that we do in and of ourselves tend to come undone. But God, God is so strong that what he does lasts forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. When God does something good, it can endure It can last forever. So what if? What if we could partner together with God so that God does good things in and through us that last forever, that endure? What if the good work that we do in our family, we allow Jesus to work in us and through us so that that good work that we do in our family endures? What if we partner together with Jesus so that he works in and through us and the work that we do with our neighbors and our neighborhood and our community and our city and our 
country and our world, what if that good work could endure because it was God whose strength is working in us and through us to produce fruit that lasts? And and that's what we're going to talk about in John 15. But before we really dive into this vine and fruit and branches metaphor, I think we need just a little bit of context, okay? So if we're going to understand this sort of vine imagery, I think we have to know that this is something that the prophets used a lot to speak of Israel. Both Isaiah and Hosea used vine images to describe Israel. That Israel is this vine that God has planted. Jeremiah says that Israel was planted as a choice vine, but became degenerate and became a wild vine. Ezekiel compares Jerusalem to a dead vine. And he says when a vine dies, you don't like use the wood for anything, right? I mean, you've never torn a vine out of your backyard or pulled it down off your house and said, wow, this is really good wood. I think I'm going to build a table or something out of that, right? I mean, you you don't do that with vine wood. It's just dry and dead, and it's not good for anything but to be thrown into the fire and burned up. And that's what Jeremiah says Jerusalem has become like. Now, look at Psalm 80, In Psalm 80, the psalmist is is asking God, save us, restore us, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine on us that we may be saved. That's verse 7. And then in verse 8, it says this, you brought a vine, Israel, out of Egypt, the Exodus, right? You brought a vine out of Egypt, and, and then you drove out the nations, the Canaanites, and then you planted it in the promised land, right? So, so. The psalmist is saying, you drove out the nations, you cleared the way, and then you planted Israel like a vine within the land of Canaan. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then? Then this is the psalmist asking, if, if you did all of this, you planted us as this wonderful, beautiful vine that, that filled up the land, and it was so beautiful and wonderful, and it was from you, then why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar, the, the pig, right? The pig from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. In verse 6, he had said, You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. God, why have you allowed this to happen to your vine, Israel, where our neighbors take advantage of us and they laugh at us and they hurt us and we have become nothing? Then he he prays in verse 14, Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the sun whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. And he kind of switches metaphors and talks about Israel, not just as the vine, but as God's son. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And Jesus takes both of those images, the son, right? The son, the son of man, and God's son, right hand, and also the vine, and he applies them to 
himself. So, so then when Jesus says in John 15 and verse 1, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. I mean, think about, think about the significance and the weight of that to a Jewish audience. I mean, if, if you had heard metaphors your whole life about how the United States is this, I don't know what that would be, but, but imagine if you had heard a metaphor your whole life and it always applied to our country or our nation or our people, and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, I'm the true whatever. In this case, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. So it's not about your connection to Abraham. You're not going to get life or strength or produce fruit or or be in the family of God because you're connected to Abraham, connected to the people of Israel. You're going to be in the family of God and produce fruit and have life if you are connected to me. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So if there's a branch in me and you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm connected to him, but yet you don't bear fruit, then the vine dresser, the father, will take that branch away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes it, right? He he prunes it. He cuts away the things that are bad and that shouldn't be there in order for it to bear more fruit. So if you bear fruit, good news, you're going to get pruned, right? You're going to have the bad stuff cut away so that even more good stuff can grow. And then he says, already you you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, it's hard to see in English, but in Greek, the word prune and clean are very similar, related words. So in other words, you already have been pruned because of the words that I'm speaking to you. Because of the words that Jesus had spoken to his disciples, they had already begun the process of being pruned so that they could increase in in their fruitfulness, right? And if we want to be fruitful, we have to be content with being pruned. And sometimes the pruning process is uncomfortable, right? When the bad stuff is cut out? And and I wonder sometimes, are we willing, if we want to produce fruit that endures, and we say, listen, I'm, I'm sick of all the good things that I do all coming undone. I want Jesus to work in me and through me that the things that I do can last and can be good fruit and endure and abide then we have to be content with the pruning process. I read this week that a vineyard, if somebody plants a vineyard and plans on growing grapes, that it takes like four years before they have a harvest of grapes. Before that, year after year after year, it's a pruning process. Pruning, 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 until finally some grapes start to be produced. Are we content with that? To say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be connected to him and I'm willing, I'm willing for God to go to work on me that I might have growth and life and to be more fruitful than I have been in the past. Are we content with the pruning process? The Father cutting away anything that hinders our growth and our fruitfulness. Now look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. I love that Quentin prayed in his prayer that that language of intertwined, right? And that's something that's all throughout the Gospel of John. 
Jesus would say, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and now you abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, do you hear that? The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? I mean, you could have a branch of a grapevine, and it's laying there on the ground, and it's not going to do anything. It can work and work and work and work. I mean, it might grow some mold on it or something. I don't know. But it's not going to grow any grapes. Not unless it's connected to the vine. And he says, it's the same with you. You will not be fruitful. And there's so many of us. And we work and we work and we work and we work and we work. And sometimes the things that we're doing are not bad things. They're good things. We're working so hard at our marriages. We're working so hard with our kids. We're working so hard with our parents. We're working so hard with our brothers and sisters. We're working so hard with our neighbors. We're working so hard at work or at school. But Jesus says, unless you're connected to me, unless my life and your life are intertwined, then you will not bear Fruit, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I heard somebody say this week that it's not really the branch that produces the fruit, it just bears the fruit, right? It's the vine that produces the fruit. You don't have to produce the fruit. All you have to do is bear the fruit. When you're connected to Jesus and your life is intertwined in his, and we'll get more specific on what that looks like and what that means as we go through the text. But if you are connected to Jesus, then he produces fruit that you bear. But apart from him, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. Nothing that lasts. Nothing that endures. Right? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about in our Ecclesiastes class? I mean, all of it, it's like vapor. It's like building a sandcastle on the beach right by the water. You know how that is, don't you? You've done that. Build a sandcastle, and as soon as you're not protecting it anymore, the wave comes in, and it's gone. And we're building and building and working and working and working, and it's for nothing if it's not in Christ. If you're not rooted in Christ and intertwined with Christ, then all the work that we do amounts to nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Just like Jeremiah's imagery, right? What good is a branch? What good is a vine? What good is a tree? What good is a plant if it does not bear fruit. And if you don't abide in me, you're thrown away like a branch, thrown away into the fire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's think about that word abide for just a second. Abide, stay, remain. In one way, as opposed to leaving, right? Because you can do that. You can come to Jesus and say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to do things his way. I want him to produce fruit in me that I can bear good fruit for Jesus. I want that. And then after time, sort of wander away. 
and no longer be connected to Jesus. Contrary to what some people teach, Jesus taught that somebody can come to him and then fall away from him. And so it's possible not to abide in Jesus, but it doesn't just mean as opposed to walking away. It means abide means to take up residence, to make something permanent, to say this is where I live. This is who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. You don't abide somewhere where you only visit occasionally. And I think maybe for some of us, Jesus is like an occasional guest in our house. And sometimes, for some of us, Jesus is more of like a permanent guest in our house. But the way Jesus is talking, it's that we take up residence in Jesus. Not that he's just a guest, not that he's just somebody that comes into our house, it's that we take our house into him. I mean, it doesn't get more intimate than a branch and a vine. I am in you, and you, and your words are in me. I mean, do we allow the words of Jesus to abide in us, to think about them, to meditate on them, to discuss them in our home. I mean, not just to discuss creation. Well, God is good. He gave us a good world. Isn't this sunset pretty? God made that. I mean, those are good things to talk about. But Jesus and the words of Jesus, do we discuss the words of Jesus in our home? Do we talk with our kids? What does it look like to turn the other cheek? Do we talk to our kids? What does it look like to pick up our cross and daily follow Jesus? Do we talk to our kids about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out? Do we talk to our kids about what it looks like to follow Jesus, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews? Do we talk to our parents? Do we talk to our brothers and sisters? Are the words of Jesus our our food? Do they sustain us? Do we meditate on them and discuss them and talk about them? Do we live by them? Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now listen to this, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. As we abide in Jesus and as we love one another, as he has loved us, he produces fruit in us and we bear fruit for him. We don't have to worry about producing fruit that lasts. All we have to do is follow the example of Jesus. Love other people as Jesus has loved us. What does that look like in the family? Well, it means you look at your spouse and you say, because Jesus has loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved, because Jesus has been patient with me, because Jesus has laid down his life for me, I want to love you like Jesus loves me. 
It means you, you look at your kids and you tell them, I want to be more patient with you because Jesus has been more patient with me. I want to call you to a higher way of living because Jesus has called me to a higher way of living. It means you go to your neighbors and you love them like Jesus loves you. Not you love them like they love you. That doesn't even work in marriage, does it? This whole 50-50 give and take kind of thing where we say, hey, you do your part and I'll do mine. That's not the way Christian love works. Christian love works that we love one another not as they love us, but we love one another as Jesus loves us. We don't love them in order to manipulate them into loving us the way we want to be loved. We say, I'm already loved the way I want to be loved, by Jesus. And now I'm going to love you. And when we live out that kind of faithfulness and self-giving love, it changes our marriages. It changes our parenting. It changes our neighborhoods. It changes our community. It changes our city. It changes our country. It changes our world. This is what it looks like to be a new creation family. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And and you may not see the fruit, right? You may not see the fruit, but Jesus sees the fruit. And that fruit will endure. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And look, and that your fruit should, you see, abide. That your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. See, in Christ, in Christ, your labor is fruitful, right? In Christ, your work is fruitful. Doesn't it get frustrating working in a fruitless way? Doesn't it get frustrating when you say, I just did this and then it all came undone and there's nothing, there's nothing that abides. But in Christ, it does abide. In Christ, your fruit will last. In Christ, when you love your spouse, if you're married, if you love your spouse as Jesus loved you, it it might not save your marriage. I don't know. It might not cause them to love you back. I don't know. But I do know this. That if in Christ, in the name of Jesus, you love them as Jesus loved you, I know that Jesus will produce fruit in you and that fruit will abide. I know that if you have kids and your kids are rebellious and hard to get along with, no matter how old they are, or you've got grandkids and your grandkids are hard to get along with, or you've got parents and your parents are hard to get along with, and you love them as Jesus loved you, I don't know what will happen in your relationship. I can't make you any promises. Scripture doesn't make you any promises to that. But I can promise you this, that Jesus will produce fruit in you and your fruit will abide. In Christ, our labor is not in vain. In Christ, our labor is fruitful. I can promise you that if you love your neighbors, 
as Jesus loved you, that your fruit will abide. I can promise you that if as families we decide this is the way we are going to live our lives, this is the way we're going to operate, this is our mode of operation, we are going to love people like Jesus loves us. We're going to love people that look different. We're going to love people that think different. We're going to love people that vote different. We're going to love people that speak different. We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to love our neighbor as Jesus loved us then Jesus will produce fruit that you will bear and your fruit will abide. So here's our moment of truth question. Is your family abiding in Christ? Not abiding like, yeah, well, we haven't fallen away yet. You know, I mean, that's good. I'm glad you haven't fallen away. That's great. But have you taken up residence in Jesus And say, this is where we live. This is where we dwell. This is how we operate. We love people as Jesus loved us. You're not perfect. That's not what Jesus is saying. But is this what you're striving for? Not, as we talked about last week, not some moralistic, therapeutic deism. Not just, I just want to be a good person and be nice. But this kind of radical lifestyle that says, Jesus laid down his life for me, so I will selflessly and faithfully love my family, my neighbor, and even my enemy. Is your family abiding in Christ so that Christ can produce abiding fruit through you? You and I are not strong enough to do any good thing that lasts, but Jesus is. Jesus is strong enough to be your vine And when you are his branches, then he produces good fruit in you that will last forever. And isn't that good news? Doesn't that take away the frustration of this life that says, I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I try and I try and I try and everything comes undone. And Jesus Jesus promised us when we do things in him, when we do the good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to do, then he produces fruit in us that will abide forever. Let's make that our goal. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you aren't yet a branch in the vine of Christ. Your life isn't intertwined yet with his. That's that's what begins at baptism, isn't it? A uniting with Jesus. And maybe you haven't given yourself to him through baptism and you're ready for that, to be pruned, to have the sins cut away, And all the things that hinder growth and fruitfulness begin to cut away. It's a long process, and none of us are finished with it yet. He's still pruning us. But maybe you're ready for that pruning process to begin. Or maybe maybe you've just gotten tired and lost your way, and you need to come back home. Or maybe you're struggling because you love others, and maybe they're not loving you back. And maybe you're just hurting and you just need prayers. We're all in this family, this vine and branches together. And we walk through it together. So let the shepherds after service in my office, let them pray with you and for you. Or right now, come forward as we stand together and sing this song.